Hey, hey everyone, it's Nicholas Lorimer here, half of your hosts for Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree, and I'm of course joined to get joined today by the other half of your hosts, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. Gabriel? Hey, Nicholas, here we are, hey? You've had a rough weekend, dislocated your finger, I believe. Yeah, I uh, I was playing volleyball again uh, two years ago, I dislocated my knee, that was really bad, this time it was just my finger. But it was like pretty gross looking because the joint was really sticking out skew and sideways. Oof. And uh, and my friends convinced me to go to the hospital, which was a stellar adventure. Mill Park <laughs> Casualty oh, Ward on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, I think that uh, it was just around sunset by the time I got in. So I think the nurses and doctors were pretty... I was like a nice warm-up. Uh, <laughs> I've like yeah I've I've had a gunshot uh, wounds and car accidents and stuff. I was very gentle, gentle intro for the for the night for them. That was exactly the day of the week my appendix went. So I, I know exactly Millpark Hospital Saturday afternoon. It's not a place I remember particularly fondly for that reason. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, I I, I did uh, there was there was various bizarre things about it. I I, I got pretty good treatment, but. You know, like I begged them. I was like, "Please don't X-ray me. Just, just like click the thing back into place." My friends and I, I had tried so hard to 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 just yank at my finger and and twist it and 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 get the joint back into place, but I couldn't do it. And then I had friends who tried, and then I was like, I I put my finger down on the floor and used my knee to pin it down, and then tried yanking my arm sideways to get. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and I and I realized once I got into the hospital, I had a bit of time. I was a bit more calm to feel it. Like I realized I needed to twist it, but also I needed three kinds of movements. One was a pulling movement, one was a twisting movement, but and one was like a lat, a, a, a diagonal. I had to make it more diagonal so that it could become less diagonal to get it sort of around the joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my mistake because I didn't do that. And also, it's much better when when they do it because they inject they like they inject a lot of fluid around there to to like puff the whole thing up. Um, it turns ah. out that like swelling swelling is the the reason you swell swelling is really useful for dislocated joints. Okay, because it applies because what you want is when the joint's out of place, you want a pressure to slowly. Your, your ligaments and your tendons, they don't like being snapped, but they don't mind being stretched a bit. So you want a slow stretch that's going to stretch the thing out further and further and further so that it can easily just come back into the right place. Hmm. Does that make, that sense? make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But it takes a long while for the swelling to get good enough to do that. So they sort of accelerate that. And and the quicker you get it back into place, the better because because uh, although your your joints it's worse to be snapped at to have a sh- a shock pull, the the slow stretches also does does do damage over time. So it do, it is uh, better, and they gave me good treatment. But I begged them. I was like, nothing's broken. I promise you, nothing's broken. I can feel it's totally fine. I'm feeling in the pocket. I can feel the top of my second digit. It's very smooth, the flat bit, and I can feel where the bone is around on the other side. You can just feel it's fine. And I asked the nurse to feel it. Because I didn't want to get an x-ray because I don't have health insurance. Dude, when I went into the hospital, uh, the first thing they said is, do you have, uh, are you on a medical scheme? And I said, no. And the lady said, oh, shame, sorry. 
<laughs> Dude, and three other nurses. One nurse, then the doctor, I was like, please don't do the x-ray before. Just click this thing. Just You've put the juice in there. It's all swollen up now. Just give it a little click. Let's see if you can get it back into place. And if you can, maybe it's just fine. And if there's anything that feels funny, then I'll go get an extra because I don't want to pay that extra. And then she felt it up and she said, I think your hand is broken. I'm not sure. I really do want an x-ray to check. So I was like, okay. Then when I was dealing with the x-ray lady, I was like, yo, lady, please help me out. Like if this x-ray says that my hand is broken and then I need to get a, a orthopedic, like, you know, some bone expert to come and check this out and get a splint, like I'm just going to lose all my money. Uh, can you help me to transfer to a government hospital? She's like, yes, we will, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll write you everything you need, and you can go to Joburg Gen. But just be aware, it's now like eight o'clock on a Saturday night. If you get to Joburg Gen now, oh, you're going to sit there until Sunday. You know, you should probably just go home and then <laughs> go back to Joburg Gen on on Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a bit, but they were. I mean, they were clearly some of the staff were like very sympath- sympathetic to like poor dudes not on medical aid trying to help us out. Uh, and, and were very sweet and very helpful. And like I said, gave a very good treatment. But there was this weird thing where I had to pay, pay like a thousand for this and a thousand for that and a thousand for the other thing uh, on separate uh, payments. And I did all of that before the doctor came back to, to pull my joint back into place. And then she came right. back to pull my joint back into place. And she started with it. And then one of the nurses came by and said, no, 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 uh, one of your swipes didn't go through. So then she stopped and went away and they brought the, so my finger's even more out of place. Like it's now, the bone is almost sideways. It's almost perpendicular to the other bones because it's, oh, no. it's really, it was like the worst time to interrupt the process. Oh, I was like, okay, let me put my pen in. Let me quickly, like, can I log into your Wi-Fi? Like, <laughs> I needed oh, to transfer no. money from one account to the other account. Dude, it just felt like it felt like a very unpleasant restaurant experience. Like I really do prefer it when you get to eat your meal and then pay the bill. Um precisely, yeah. But I understand like, you know, in the middle of a bite. <laughs> it's just very weird. Like in the middle of a bite, they're like put you your food back out and pay. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm glad that your finger is 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 back and that you weren't completely financially ruined. Um, although you are probably at least slightly financially ruined from the side. No, of I'm it. fine. I'm fine. I realized I've, I'm I'm just wealthy enough to be able to afford uh, a pinky injury treatment in a hospital. <laughs> like, I, don't don't ask me to do any more than that. But I'm a man. I'm a man enough. Like, I've earned enough money that I can do that, and I'm and I'm just fine. Not a problem. Well, I've had a bit of a week. I'm now, you know, for the last couple of weeks, been emerging back into the world, uh, and uh, I've been working on a uh, the final research project I've got to do for the year, and also, of course, my obsession of the past couple of months, the U.S. election. Um, just looking at numbers and things like that. So that's kind of in my mind. And the other thing I'd be doing is reading a book by H.R. McMaster uh, that he's just published. Um, but before you get to that, let's actually hear from you. You read about a famous businessman uh, who died. Was it today? or, or over Yeah, it was this morning. It was this morning. Uh, his name is Lee. That, that would be a surname. 
because uh, surnames come first in South Korea. Uh, first mm. name Kun Hee, but in, the, in their ordering, mm. it's Lee Lee Kun Hee, uh, and Lee Kun Hee uh, basically uh, took over Samsung from his father. It's a family business, a Chebon, and uh, you know his father when his father started it, it was sort of making noodles and selling them. And uh, yeah, then under Lee Kun Hee, it became the world's biggest the, tech company yeah, by revenue. Um, Samsung, you know, very, very advanced uh, uh, phones, white goods, uh, dishwashers, fridges, smart ovens and stuff like that. Um, very, very, he invest, he, his, he made a great bet in, in, in investing in superconductors, uh, and sorry, in semiconductors, um, mm -hmm. which would allow his thought being, if you, if you can, uh, you know, Bill Gates has developed great operating software and Americans are sort of leading on that front. But if you can, if you can make your own hardware with a cutting edge, then you can yes. get software developers that are trained in, uh, you know, the, the basic languages, the advanced languages that have been developed elsewhere and apply that to the particular product that, that you're building and that only you can build. So he sort of, he saw the hard side um, of of Digitech as being uh, sort of the lagging space, a little bit yeah. behind. Yeah, that was the space the, the to opportunity. grow and, mm -hmm. and that's where they really grew into. And Samsung did amazingly well. Um, and and he just died, and it's very much sort of like a scene out of every 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 movie I know set in that part of the world. Whether it's like Jackie Chan, you know, whether it's like a a, a, a cop detective kind of Skopskit and Donner, or a, a Batman-y type thing, or a or a, a spoof on on Crazy Rich Asians. Like you always have the sense of the family business, and there's always the succession question. And it's usually, a, yeah. And, and it's usually a noodle shop <laughs> that starts off yeah, at the. the it beginning starts off as dynasty. a noodle shop, and then it yes. becomes a great, huge dynasty. And so, yeah, he died with his family present, and there was his son, the vice president, and so he might become the successor. But it's not all to you know. No one will, no one will declare exactly what he died of, although it's probably cancer or heart disease. Uh, no one mm. will say. If he wrote a will, it's not exactly clear how his ooh, estate was broken ooh, up. No, it's not no, exactly clear. Never a good way to go. <laughs> whether there's going to be a succession battle at Samsung or whether the Sun Vice President heir apparent is going to take it over and 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 it's all going to be okay. But part of what's so so that's part of what's weird about this is that it's like you know Samsung is one of the most modern tech companies in the world. It really it really yeah. is up there with with anything the Americans have to offer in terms of in its space developing and competing and at the same time and it's, it's, it's family business family business thing mm. and then the flip side of it also is that lee kun, kun he i mean he was he was definitely he definitely bribed the president the former <laughs> two presidents ago president of south korea is, is that the and, one who was thrown out for corruption yes ah ooh, the plot thickens i didn't realize that he was uh responsible mm. he played a major part in that sort of you know, uh, enough evidence taken against him and then him doing the mea culpa and then that adds pressure upwards. So there's yeah. this, and, and that's not the only instance of corruption that he was involved in, but it just made me think, so part of the reason that I wanted to dwell on this is just to, to, just to bring out the paradox of South Korea, which is that it was colonized, destroyed 
in in the Second World War and then in the uh, Civil War afterwards Korean War, yeah. between the Korean War between North Korea and South Korea, America and China and so on. Really, Seoul was flattened. Hey, its illiteracy yeah. rate seventy percent of people couldn't read. It was poorer um, than in Ghana 19, in nineteen sixty. Exactly, it was poorer than Ghana in nineteen sixty, and now it's like the eighth, ninth richest country in the world. Uh, best ship Just builders. to clarify, it's poorer than Ghana was in nineteen sixty. In nineteen sixty itself, it was behind. Uh, yeah, you know. not Ghana today. Ghana back yeah. then, and the, and the South <laughs> Korean ambassador to South Africa. Kim, when he he his parents were were ambassadors, and he went from Seoul in the sixties as a teenager uh, to to Uganda, and they stopped by Nairobi, and they went through, and then to Kinshasa, and they went through another town, and he was like, "Wow, I can't believe it! These African capitals are so clean and so advanced, and they've got much nicer hospitals, and like there's much nicer cars." Like coming from Seoul to 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 Central and East Africa was just like really taking a step up in the world. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and then and 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 now the tables have been turned, and and his theory that that South Korean ambassador, his theory is, um, is that uh, you know if you want to look for one word, his theory is that people think South Korea is some kind of simple success story, in much the way that it's tempting to think that uh, Lee Kun Hee is a simple success story of family business. It's not. There's lots of up and downs. There's like, there's there's bribery charges. There's Finds there's uh, moments where it seems like you've lost your competitive advantage to. No, there's definitely drama. Nokia and Apple. There's like it's 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 a constant battle to be successful, especially when you're coming from nothing, which is where they came from. And so mm-hmm. and and that battling spirit of and where the purpose of the battle is to add value to others. He was like, this is the defining uh, sort of unit in the South Korean esteem esteem economy. People just respect people more for. For value add than for for anything else, and uh, yeah, Samuel Undong we've talked about. Uh, it's the sort of old name of this philosophy, and it was articulated. Uh, one way of putting it is: if you don't want to work, that's okay. Just don't eat. Work to eat. Do not work. Yeah. Do not eat. Don't eat to live. Eat to work. If you don't want to work, don't eat. Work. Uh, work. What is it like? Work four hours for every meal. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, if you want to do 21 meals in a week, if you want to have three meals a day, then 21 times four, you've got to do at least 64 hours of work in the week. So that is more than 10 hours yeah. a day, Monday through Friday. That is like 10 hours a day, Monday through Saturday, and then four hours of Sunday. That was that was like the most common chant. People would sing that in the streets in the 60s and the 70s. People would like sing it to church, to like Christian church music, but that was just their lyrics. Like, don't eat to live, eat to work. <laughs> if you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to work. That's okay. Just don't eat. <laughs> work four hours for every meal. It's crazy, and it, but it, but it worked. And anyway, so uh, rest in peace, and we'll see what happens with Samsung, and we'll see how Korea. You know, you can't. You've got to figure out how to work smart and not undermine yourself through faction fighting and all kinds of. Uh, corruption problems that that do result from having a place that had nothing and then grew through central mm-hmm. plan to some extent and then through you know state-owned enterprises that were privatized into an oligopoly alongside these private family businesses that did really well all through value add so a lot of corruption but it's like we're going to bribe you to get the deal but then guess what when we get the deal we're going to yeah. do the we're going to get more revenue than costs. Well, We're going to make a this, profit. Yeah, exactly. This is this is a this is a thing that uh, I think people often underestimate is corruption is really not that big of a hindrance as long as you've got other stuff going for you. 
um, it, you know, it makes everything worse, but it's not fatal in of itself. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you get, I think, like, what was the process story? There, there's like corruption in, in like a deal to buy trains, and then we end up buying trains that don't fit the tracks. Right, right. Or, or that story where there was, I mean, <laughs> That's not- the, the, this isn't as good of an example, although I think, I think it still counts. Um, there's one that those guys went down for in the Free State where they were hired to do an asbestos survey to see whether government buildings still had asbestos in it and, you know, get see whether it needed to be removed. Cost them like three million rand or something to do it. They charged 40 million rand <laughs> for the contract, right? And then if they, they didn't charged, do it. Right. Uh, if they charged, you know, I think they did do it, but if they charged 10 million rand, you know, it would have been a very different story because then they still would have scraped a nice chunk off the top, uh, but it would no, have like not Nick, ruined everything and become, no, become Nick, you're missing obvious. <laughs> one of the, un- no, the underlying problem with that story, and I think their overall charge ended up being in the, it's like over a hundred million um, that they, that they budgeted for. Not all yeah. the money went through. <laughs> Dude, they oh, made good. They made like out of the thousand or ten thousand visits that they were supposed to make, they only made three documented visits. All of the other visits, <laughs> I didn't realize they were it was like, that bad. <laughs> they did it online, like they did online inspections, which means they didn't do inspections at all. No, like that's 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 the problem. <laughs> These guys got paid to not do the job. Like it's yeah. just it's and a that, whole other level of corruption. And Kim the, in his book, he's like so the bad. worst mm. corruption that you have in South Africa is absenteeism. Like, and that's the yes. big problem with Satu and the, and the schools. It's like, it's one thing to to be bribing this one and that one so that you can get the rights to run the tuck shop in the school so that yeah. you can get the profits out it's of the tuck shop. It's another thing to, to bribe for the rights and then not run the tuck shop. <laughs> or, yeah, to bribe for the rights to become the teacher. And then you don't even go to class Monday or Friday. Puzo Thursday yeah. lasts until Wednesday. You know, that's just another level. Anyway, so <laughs> South Korea, definitely corrupt, like South Africa, definitely unlike South Africa in the sense that dudes who, who who bribed each other, bribed each other for the chance to add value, for the chance yes. to do the job. They were like, we really want to do the job so badly well, that we're prepared to will, buy you a car. I will argue slightly with you there. I think uh, that while South Korea may once have been as corrupt as South Africa, it is no longer because the president uh, went down for their corruption charge rather than (laughs) continuing to be the president. (laughs) Yeah. Two presidents went down and in a short space of time. Right. Uh, And the system worked. So uh, a lesson for us, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. But so, Nick, that's 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 the little eulogy to Lee Kun-hee. Uh, interesting yes. guy. Um, I think, I th- dude, I'm curious about. So you've been working on this American election stuff. Uh, mm. g- give, give, give us some thoughts, and in particular, I think I'd like to know what your view is about. Uh, I think we agree that the poll, like, it really looks unlikely, like Trump, that Trump is going to win. Um, yes, he, he has a chance. It's just a slimmer chance than last time. And last time he got, he, he sort of scraped through in a very slim chance kind of way. Yes. Um, if anything's going to save Trump, like what group, like if if there's going to be a surprise and Trump wins, how would that happen from a, what's the point? So I, think, that about that? I think there's two groups who possibly could drive a surprising Trump win. And these are also two groups uh, in the case of, so the groups are, 
the group that that allowed him to win last time, which is uh, white voters without a college degree, without a university degree, um, primarily men. Um, they are basically the core of, of his support. And also people who are classified in the US as Hispanic, although that's a very broad term, actually. Uh, there's a very lot of different people that fall under the title of Hispanic. These are the two groups that might be slightly misrepresented by um, pollsters. The one, is the, 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 the non-college educated whites, it's because a lot of them, they don't really, they don't have landlines. A lot of them are not that interested in politics, so they, they're unlikely to actually answer. If they answer the phone and someone says, hey, do you want to spend 20 minutes talking to me on the phone about politics? They might be like, um, no, and mm. then uh, uh, do their own thing. Um, and there's also, of course, the social pressure to 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 back Biden um, because the the sort of cultural elite of the U.S. is very much against Trump. So they might feel a little bit, you know, suspicious of, of someone who's yeah or shy, right? And they'll they're more likely rather than saying, "Oh, I'm going to vote for Biden," they might more likely say, oh, "I'm really not sure. Um, I I'm not, I, I'm still thinking about it." That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and Hispanics, of course, also have a lot of social pressure because considering how Donald Trump started his campaign uh, to become president back in 2015, there's still a lot of people in the sort of Hispanic community who say if you vote, if you support Trump, then you're like a, a traitor and that kind of thing. There's a lot of social pressure on those people to to say that they're not supporting him when actually they are. And yet there has been some polling data that suggested that Trump is growing his strength with um with Hispanics, um, not can I give some enormously? numbers to? Can I give yeah, some yeah, numbers yeah, to that? So according to five thirty eight, which just by the way, I just want to say something about polling. Like after two thousand and sixteen, there was two responses. Brexit had been a bit of a, a shock to to the British elite, and Trump's election had been a shock to the American elite, and both had been a shock to the Anglosphere's elite in South Africa. And right. so people had said that polling is nonsense. It can't predict because the polling didn't predict this. But Brexit said, you know, it's 51, it's 49, 51. Yes. Uh, totally within the margin of error. So it wasn't a surprise to yeah. pollsters that I, Brexit I, ended up I, going I, I was very shocked actually in 2016 because while, while I thought that Hillary was going to win the American election, and I, I was a bit shocked by that. Looking at Brexit, I was like, this thing is impossibly close. I can't, you know, people are going to, I don't know why everyone is acting so smug and confident about yeah, one way or the other. Like it's really yeah, exactly. on the knife's edge. It could go it, either it, way. It seemed impossibly close. So, so, so my story, and I probably have told this before on this podcast, was that, but it really changed my life. Uh, when I lived in America, a very important man that I met, uh, sort of uh, an oil, a Texas oil baron, who's about ninety years old, uh, he said to me that. Uh, he asked me if I read the New York Times every day. He said, a real man has got to read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal every day if you're living in America. That was just, he had a sense of what a man can do and it involved being able to shoot a gun. It involved being able to <laughs> serve a lady with, 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 as a gallant uh, gentleman uh, and protect her uh, sort of from slights at a party. Uh, and it involved reading the New York Times and the Wall Street on the world yeah yes and so i did 
and I, I'd already, I'd already, you know, I was, I grew up on The Economist, but I was like, okay, I'm in America, let me read The New York Times. And I really did. And I loved reading it every day. I mean, often I hated what it had to say. Often I thought it was very well informed. I thought it was, a, I mean, it's a great newspaper between uh, the beginning of time and 2016. And then in the build up to the election, it had this bar saying uh, on its, on its front page um, on the website saying, what are the odds that the election is going to go to Clinton or to Trump? And, you know, it started out half red, half blue, and then going more and more blue, more and more blue. Uh, and by two days before the election, you literally couldn't see the red. It was 98% <laughs> blue, 2% red. And yes. I was amazed by that. And the former, at that stage, departed data expert at the New York Times was a guy called Nate Silver. And he was at, he'd moved from uh, the New York Times to 538 because he'd had beef with Which those guys and he wanted to run his own show. Yeah. And his website, 538, was saying that Trump had a one in three chance. And I thought the New York Times their, was mistaken. Their final number was 28.8%. Yeah. And and I think Trump won in a sort of one in three one in three kind of way, as Nate Silver yeah. likes to say. You know, one in three means flip the coin three times. One time, you know, if it's a three-headed dice. Uh, it's going to land on one. Or if it's a, it, yeah, it's yeah. going to, if, if you've got a normal dice, it's going to land on one or two. There's a one in three chance it's going to land on one or two, and a two in three chance it's going to land on three, four, five, or six. Right, you wouldn't like, be horrifically shocked if that happened. <laughs> yeah, if you threw a dice once and it landed on one or two, yeah. So that's how, anyway, so the data that, I, this is just background to say that, like, I think silly people drew the lesson that you shouldn't pay attention to the polls. Uh, that's what New right. York Times did. It's Mia Culpa was to say, Look, guys, we got it wrong. We predicted Hillary Clinton was going to win, but we were wrong. And the reason we were wrong is because Trump colluded with Putin to take over the world. <laughs> yes, which was stupid. Which was silly. Whereas Nate Silver wrote 13 essays, one and a half thousand words each, on how he would, what he's learned from the experience, what he wished he had done right. differently, and, and so on. And they were a great education. And he actually, he actually wrote an essay, I think at the end of October in 2016, saying... Donald Trump is just one polling standard polling error behind Clinton. So, in other words, the average level that polls are wrong. Yeah, uh, Trump was just that amount behind Hillary, and as it turned out, that was enough. Uh, that happened to be the case. The polling error was in his favor, and it was enough to push him over the edge because he won incredibly narrowly in some of those places, particularly Michigan, where I think it was like zero point two of a percent that he won the election by. Yeah, exactly, exactly tens of thousands of votes and this time nate silver has trump with similar odds it's about one in three slightly less than one in three well no now it's, the problem it's is down. it's it's about half that half half that this time i think it's now down to about one in third to one in six i think that's where it's at mm -hmm. now no on the on the on the i'm looking at okay well i'm looking at the data from thursday and it it had trump at at sort of 29 out of 100 biden at 71 out of 100 um but the difference is that 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 Silver's polling is now built in very many factors that last time were underestimated in Trump's favor. So right. in real terms, I think it has. Well, passed. not his polling because he doesn't do that much polling. But his uh, his his aggregate. What they do is they yeah his aggregate his pushing together the whole thing, including a amount for uncertainty. Exactly. Um, they're coming down less certain on the prediction, specifically because they think that it's been a a crazy year. Uh, so, 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 but so, I, yeah. so I just wanted to read the numbers quickly about, about Hispanics. So Hispanics have been one of the hugest gains in polling that Trump has made. So yes. in 2016, 
Trump was 37% behind Clinton. Mm-hmm. And now he's 23% behind. So that's like a 15% gain. And if you break it down by age, amongst 45-year-old and older Hispanics, it's just 7% gained. But amongst 18 to 44-year-old Hispanics, it's like basically 25% gain. It's a huge, it's like a quarter of polled Hispanics, a quarter of Hispanics seems to have gone from being pro-Democrat to being pro-Republican under Trump. Yeah, uh, presumably, but, you know, yeah. The, yeah, you could actually view this in a more historical context in that uh, Hispanics largely deserted the Republican Party after Trump. They went to a, uh, sorry, after Bush, they went to a low point under Romney, and now they're coming back. They came back under under Trump the first time, and they're increasingly coming back uh, to, 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 uh, to, to Trump under yeah, they, they'll they'll grow their support for Trump will grow this election, um, because what's Bush got? I think forty percent of the Hispanic votes or something like that. So he did pretty well with them at one point. Yeah, um, passionate conservatism. It, it was right. suited his a lot of Hispanics are religiously, con, you know, socially conservative in a lot of and ways. So a lot like of them, the idea of yeah. a lot of them view themselves more as actually closer to white Americans than they do to the people, uh, the, the populations that they that they sort of emerged from. So those, um, you know, like Puerto Rico, uh, not Puerto Rico, um, Mexico, those places, they, they assimilate pretty quickly into American society in a, at a level a lot of people don't think. And I think affirmative action is one of the reasons that those people continue to identify as Hispanics it's because, you know, if you want to get into a university, you might have grown up basically speaking English. Your Spanish isn't so good. You really identify with America. You don't have much uh, you know, interest in your, like, let's say, Mexican heritage. But when the university application says, oh, we get ex- you get extra points if you're Hispanic, of course you're going to put down <laughs> that you're Hispanic on the form. Of course, um, dude. Right. Wow. So anyway... Uh, so yeah, this group is going going for him. We I think the the amount that they've gone for him is is very variable. So I've looked at a couple of polls myself beyond what like uh, that Nate Silver article you're talking about, and it really does vary a lot from poll to poll as to how much his support has grown. Some say that if there's been a five percent shift towards him. Some say that there's been like a more than twenty percent shift towards him. Uh, and it also That's could why... be part... yeah, Kara. Sorry, that's why I'm using Nate Silver because I just think right, yeah. he's the he's the best at aggregating things right now that I know, and maybe he'll be proved to be wrong. But I'm sort of just looking for this sort of counter narrative of like I really believe the polling strongly suggests that that Biden is going to win, but I'm looking for the the potential spoilers also, of that narrative, and exactly. and and the Hispanic one is one. The other one I just want to highlight, and which is the sort of headline of this article is black voters. Yes, particularly black so, men. Yeah, so so black voters in 2016, 82% for Hillary, 18% for Trump. So it's a huge, I mean, it's the greatest monolith. And it's part of the reason that race is so important to understanding American uh, politics is yeah. that nine out of 10 black Americans vote for the Democrats. And that's a constituency that if, if the Democrats can hold on to that forever, uh, maintaining a sort of esteem economy idea 
of race solidarity, which Biden articulated very nicely. You're not actually black if you don't vote for me. Yes. As long as they, as long as that idea continues to hold, so that all black people think, not all, but almost all black people think they have to think the same way and vote the same way. There's very strong social pressures maintaining that. Um, then the Democrats will will continue to be competitive no matter what their performance. Um, yes. And one of the things that I think that one of the stories that has to happen if America succeeds in the 21st century is that uh, that racial that block has to break down. That block has to break down. Mm. Um, it's just uh, and, and it's like if you look at the white block, like white college educated, uh, sorry, white people who, who never went to university, this group where Trump won big time, he had like uh, a 20 percent advantage. This is an 80% advantage. So like, yes. like white, white uh, hillbillies or whatever you want to call them are much more politically diverse group. Everyone yes. is a much more politically diverse group than black America. And Trump yeah. has, ironically enough, done a very good job of, uh, of breaking that group down, at least according to this polling, which could be wrong. Yes. But this polling suggests it's gone from negative 82% to negative 71%. 71% so Biden... 29, 70% for Biden, 30% for Trump. So that's a 10% swing. And if you look at it by, by gender, yeah, women have hardly, black women have hardly shifted. Almost yes. all black women well, were this, for this Clinton. Is one of the stories, black women are for, This is one of the stories of the, of the election, right? Is yeah. that actually, you know, people talk about men and women voting differently, but generally speaking, men and women don't vote that differently. At least they didn't until now. Um, and this U.S. election might be one of the first major world elections where men and women vote extremely differently from each other. So there are some polls that show Biden winning by more than 17 points uh, women and Trump winning men by nine points. That's a gender gap that's like completely alien to 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 almost all electoral politics up until this point, ever since a woman got the vote. A lot of people thought, you know, women have tended to vote uh very slightly differently from men over the years. Um, but until 1980 in the US, there was very little difference between the two. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, quite an interesting thing here. And I think it also says something about, you know, what what is attractive about Trump. His, his style, his affect and stuff, it definitely appeals more to men than it does to women, um, which is yeah. kind of interesting itself. It, it is so, interesting. So, 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 so my takeaway from that article, by the way, and my general takeaway is that if Biden wins, it's going to be because of white women. Uh, and yes. if Trump wins, it's going to be because of black young men yes. leaving the Democratic camp and going and going for Trump. And I think that's just what the numbers are telling me. And I think it's super interesting at a human level because it's, <laughs> I don't, it's not obvious no, uh, right, it's I, it's contrary to a lot of narratives floating around out there. <laughs> uh, and the you, guy, if you, yeah. If you look at Biden's campaign, you can see that his target market has been uh, white white women in particular. Uh, he's he's played up his kind of empathy very much. He's played up being quite sort of soft. He's been very safety conscious. Things that are are, are you know, polling suggests are very important to uh, white female American voters in particular. Um, yeah. 
And if he wins, that'll possibly be the reason. The other reason, the other thing that's killing Trump right now is the fact that old people who, who until very recently tended to vote massively, overwhelmingly for Republicans are now tied in, in a lot of polls with, with Biden uh, in terms of who they support. And I think that's the coronavirus. A, yeah, that's I probably think, COVID. I think that uh, the put another way, if, if you look at blocks, uh, I've said my piece, but if you look at historical events, who who was it? Uh, some clever American said, "History is a series of events, young man. It's a series of events." Uh, and if you want to look for events, then yeah, Trump is going to lose COVID, and and the way you'll find that in the in the voting blocks is that old people who were sort of on his side, yes, were really frustrated at at their friends dying in the old age homes, and and uh, blame him rightly or wrongly. Yeah. Um, it's it's also kind of interesting because it means that Gen X people are now the the strongest in support of Trump in America, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. It is so um, weird. And the and the and the other big shift in terms of uh, education is that people with a college degree were thirty three percent more likely to vote for Clinton than for Trump, and now only six percent more likely. So. If you look at like people who – another way of putting the question I was putting to you is like who voted for Clinton last time but is going to vote for Trump this time? That's and true. some of them some of them are going to be young black men and some of them are going to be uh, people of all races that have, that have a degree that last time were put off by Trump's nasty rhetoric calling John McCain a loser because he was captured in war – Saying Mexicans are not sending Mexico is not sending their best uh, through the illegal uh, sort of crossing of the Rio Grande. They're sending rapists and and gangsters and criminals and so yeah, on, yeah. which is which is true on one disambiguation and racist on another disambiguation. And it's just <laughs> yes. it's just you know I think to college educated people it's like well speak in a way that's not that that's not going to be easily disambiguated as racist. Find a find a more yeah, precise. Don't... Way don't, of putting don't play, kids. yeah. Don't play kind of nice, nice with uh, you know, soft, yeah. soft with gender, racial rhetoric, racially charged rhetoric like that. Like yeah. be very don't clear be, and precise about be, what you mean. Be precise. But I think a lot of so so the worry was that Trump really would be a tyrant and really would be a nasty racist to a lot of college educated people. But just from the data, it looks like those people, a lot of those people, not all of them at all, but a lot of those people have changed their mind. Huge swing, 30 percent swing. On, on this polling, but that is overwhelmed by even more women being anti-Trump than last time. Last time, Trump managed to hold on to sort of uh, a white middle-class moms in yeah. in the Rust Belt, in Virginia, in the Carolinas, and, this and time, so in much. Arizona, and so on. So when I did my Nate Silver on 538, if you want to do a fun thing, you can go into their site, and there's like a they they give you a list of the swing states and you can sort of bet like well if this if florida goes this way then how does that change the odds if uh, yes. wisconsin goes that way how does that change the odds and what i did with that and is i basically just i said like i'm going to say all of the states that are more black that at, where people think it's going to go to biden but they're disproportionately black like put those as surprise trump wins but all of the states where you've got a lot of white middle class moms uh, give those a surprise Biden wins. And on that basis, it looks like Biden has 
yeah, has it in the is bag. Gonna, is is going to win. Um, that's yeah. Uh, the reason that that is is that um, is generally the reason that tool works quite in, in an interesting way is that polling errors tend to be correlated across states. So in other words, if you miss a very particular type of voter who's common in, let's say, Pennsylvania, you're probably going to make mistakes in Wisconsin and Michigan, which have similar electorates. And that's exactly what happened last time, right? So um, they didn't wait for education in the right way. And as a result, all these non-college educated white voters were not uh, sampled correctly and they uh, defied the polls. That being said, though, uh, Trump's going to have to have a bigger than average error this time, I think, to 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 win, um, and that's that's probably why I would I I'm pretty bearish on the chances of him getting back, but uh, you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened, and it's been a strange year. Very strange year, it has indeed. Twenty twenty has been, oh man. I don't know. I was like, I was resisting the temptation. There was, there's this line on radio, uh, uh, especially East Coast radio, uh, when I was down in KZN. Love saying, "Oh, it was going to be twenty plenty, but now it's twenty empty." <laughs> it's like, oh, callers call in. They love that line. Yeah, let me tell you, like, you know, like you can just run hours of talk show radio, yeah. being like, "Guys, here's the theme: twenty plenty." to 20 empty tell us your version of that story and there are endless versions of that story millions oh. of people that have become unemployed millions of people more that have uh, reduced income or, or people or who, who just work. had plans for this year that got completely destroyed we do our best we're going to be fine yeah and i don't I think, think we're doing our right. best and one of the things that i've been doing i sort of I was looking for a reason for it in a way you know, Amy Conan Barrett's uh, nomination to the Supreme Court of the United States got me thinking again about, you know, she said, I am a student of Scalia. I, I take his ideas very seriously. Yes. Scalia being a late con uh, Supreme Court justice who's, who, who, who believed that the Constitution is not a living thing and basically believed the Constitution should be very, very, the, the Supreme Court should only strike down very, very few laws as that unconstitutional. Basic, yeah. Basically, the power should the lie with the people. Been, right. And basically only the laws that it finds in the language of the time would have been unconstitutional for the most part. Exactly. Now, Amy Conan Barrett has the same philosophy. And so I was trying to think to myself, you know, am I, what do I actually think about this philosophy? I'm, uh, and so I've lis listened to, your hours of debates between Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Scalia, Friar, uh, Breyer, late Justice Breyer, and Scalia. And then I went back to listening to the B BBC Wreath Lectures of Lord Sumption, who has a similar position. He was the Supreme Court Justice, one of the Supreme Court Justices in the United Kingdom, who's now retired. And yeah. uh, he, he gave this lecture series in 2019 um, about uh, judicial philosophy. And then in 2020 became famous in the UK because he was the most prominent critic of lockdowns from very, very early on and said things like, you know, I'm an 80 year old man and <laughs> I really like to go to the theater and I also really like to be alive. But I know every time I drive to the theater, I might die in a car accident or have a heart attack while watching the show. You know, it's, 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 it's happened before uh, during 
more than a dozen people have died listening to Wagner's symphony, The Ring. <laughs> I mean, what a way to go, though. Yeah, and that's his, that's his philosophy. He's like, life is, you've got to live your life. Like, risk cannot be an excuse to not live. So he was, you know, I suppose as an old and extremely wise guy, he was like, I want the right to choose whether or not I want to go to the theater. And, yes. and I'm a Dionysiac myself. Like the theater is the most holy space for me. That is my church. And, it, you know, I, I know uh, some people will find that easy to laugh at, just like some people find it easy to laugh at mosques or, or synagogues or churches or whatever. We all have our thing, and that's my thing. So I was very proud to have uh, to hear that, to hear a, a, a believer in the theater sort of speak out for, for, for that venue as I think people should be able to choose to go to or not. And, of course, it wasn't respected. Almost anywhere theaters have, have yeah. continued to be bad. And the same goes for music, you know. A, a music stage, it's, it, it's a... It's a, it's a deeply human thing. And, and, to, and to ban people from listening to live music, it's an interesting problem. Anyway... Lord Sumption's uh, real contribution, I think, is on this judicial philosophy point. And, and, and he, you know, it's five hours of lecture, so I'm not going to be able to distill it all. But one of the things that he points out is that because the UK doesn't have a written constitution, it doesn't have the same kind of issue that we have of like a two-thirds majority vote can amend the constitution or a three-quarters of majority vote can amend the constitution for other purposes. It's just 50% plus one. Like there's... Yeah. That is that is what it takes, and then it's a battle so, between the Supreme Court and the and the and the Parliament, and the Parliament is right. supreme in their system, unlike in our system, and that makes it sound as if minorities are much more vulnerable. It makes it sound as if it's going to be much easier to pass crazy laws on the back of populist wins that uh, just you know pin the tail of guilt onto some little group and and scapegoat it, and you know it makes it seem as if the UK is more vulnerable than most places to the tyranny of the mob to the ty tyranny right. of the majority but it's got this it's got this oily slather all over it of kind of precedent precedent and norms which uh and which restricts a lot of the worst impulses of anything really but it's also got i think his biggest point and and this is the point that i think we as south africans are missing his biggest point is it works because the people vote relatively intelligently. And unfortunately, <laughs> yes. party politics has reduced. And of course, Brexit like has, has become a very badly divisive issue. And he's, like I always was, very critical of, of parts of that process, uh, the, you know, the way the referendum was construed. Right, right, right. But, but the usual parliamentary process in the UK has actually just produced very salutary results overall for the last century. Yeah, and, and when when they took a wrong turn, like in the seventies, and you know they sort of gave the country over to trade unions and stuff, they elected a Thatcher to throw to throw that all out. And then when they got tired of Thatcher and the way she was doing things, they elected a sort of uh, a, a you know, major, the, the Blair, yeah. the major, and then Blair, and they, they're the 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 electorate is very responsive to the conditions of the country, and that is what we are not. Dude, yes. the expropriation bill literally says, the expropriation bill says that if you if your stuff is stolen then you can be expropriated without compensation yes it makes it, there's no one of the things lord sumption said is look a fundamental right if you're going to strike something down it's got to be because it 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 really doesn't make sense like yeah. the most basic test is 
Like, is it is it not a coherent English sentence? If it's not a coherent English sentence, then it undermines the rule of law. Because the rule of law is opposed to the rule of men. Some person's whim, he thinks, oh, in this situation we do this, in that situation we do that. We, I can't write down a rule to actually dictate the pattern of how things are supposed to go. I just make it up. It's like jazz, okay? So jazz oh. is the problem. If it doesn't make sense, the thought that we've got property rights, which to my mind means if you own something and you lose control over it, you're robbed, the government then the government will step in to mm -hmm. try and return it to you if they can. Sometimes it's not always possible, but they'll try. To, to say, look, we've got that. You've got property rights. If someone robs you, we'll try and restore it to you. But also, if someone robs you, then we're going to expropriate you without compensation. That is just not an English sentence I can find a meaning to. <laughs> I don't know what no. that means. What does it mean yeah, to say, completely, get robbed, it's completely off the I'll wall. return it to you. But also, if you get robbed, I'm going to take it. Like that It's just, just, it's just no so one... obviously open to complete abuse and arbitrary exercise of power. It's not even English. It's saying it's the same as saying two equals five. It's that's not English. Yeah. yeah. And yet, no one is excited about it. Like outside of the institute, and I suppose a few people in Cope, the DA. I just, I'm just not seeing any pushback. I'm not seeing any marches on the street. I'm not seeing any. Uh, you well, know, it should. You know, it's an attack on the Bill of Rights, and it should bring down the government. It's, and and if it doesn't, if we keep voting the same way, and if we don't even protest, yeah, we're going to be in big trouble. We think the constitutional uh, court's going to save us. We think America's going to save us. We think the constitutional court's going to save us. That's the mistake South Africa's <laughs> making. And the, and the, and the reason yeah. I bring up Scalia and Lord Sumption, those conservative judges, their warning was the constitutional court cannot save you. Like, yes. when it's fashionable, they'll go along with the fashion, even if it doesn't make sense. And if it's Fashionable and it's going to erode you. You know, it's they, they, it's 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 a parchment barrier. The Bill of Rights and, is a parchment barrier. If you don't have people, the mass majority of the people right. that are willing if, to stand if, up and protect the Bill of Rights, and 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 you know, as we've pointed out many times, uh, polling shows that people don't really support this stuff. People are not actually entirely behind this agenda. But what do they choose to do? They choose to sit it out. They choose to not kind of get involved. They choose to not really vote. They choose to, you know, sometimes they march and protest. But generally speaking, most South Africans sit on the sidelines and just kind of wait for something to happen. And that, I think, is the fatal problem in SA. It's not that we believe in expropriation without compensation. It's just that we don't care enough to do something to stop it. Or that we care, but we feel defeated. And that's why right, I that's was it. just trying to be frank about my emotions. I feel defeated, dude. I feel like... My finger got dislocated and it got put back in place and that was fine. It took a couple of hours and now it's fine. But I feel like my soul has been dislocated from the, the <laughs> from this country in a way. Like I'm waiting for the doctor to relocate it. I'm waiting for someone to come in and please like give me the medicine and fix it for me. But like it's not going to work. Yeah, we have, have to, to pull it. that finger. We have to pull finger. We have to snap that thing back into place ourselves. And it's going to be sore. It's sore to go out there and say, this is crazy. And no, no matter how you look, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter where you come from, if you oppose the mainstream in this country, you will be vilified. You will be stigmatized. You will be insulted. You'll be offended. You'll be, your humanity will be, you know, this, you will be dissed. Mm. It's it's painful. It's a painful thing to to resist. 
even if it's peace, you know, especially when it's peaceful and disciplined, because the other thing you have to do when you resist properly is, is go out and like also argue against those people who, who want to say this is black versus white and who want to sort of try and actually start right. a kind of civil yeah. war because they've got a teenage fantasy about violence and bloodshed. <laughs> you, there's just, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but like there is no doctor to come and help us out here. There is no yeah. expert. There's no foreign. And we just are, are defeated. And I think, I think we, it's the, it's the dark side of conservatism is is to is is you know the the South African metaphor is to bury your head in the sand like an ostrich, is to <laughs> just tend your own garden, is to just focus on your own narrow you know sphere of interest. How can yeah. how can I just do my job and have nice dinner with my family? And that is important. That is the that's the milk and honey of life. But that milk and honey is not going to be right. It's running it's, pure it's and that, true if you if the, exactly, if the if source of peace and stability. Is, is undermined to the extent that we're looking at right now. Right. And, and uh, you know, normally I'm kind of against this because I do think that injecting politics into every aspect of your life is quite horrifying. Um, and yeah. yet we we are sort of getting to a point where it becomes difficult for that not to happen. Um, if, you know, the economy is basically crippled uh, by expropriation without compensation, then people's ability to live their lives in peace and quiet and without caring about who the president is, is going to be, it's going to be hurt. Um, Dude, and there's, and there's a tough side. And I suppose part of it, like, you know, who do you want to call out in particular? Part of it, I want to call out like, like, uh, you know, people who are making enough money that they have a bit of clout and they have a bit of spare time last night and last Saturday night, I hung out with, um, fund managers People who manage other people's savings. Yeah. And I think they do a very good job. And we talked about the state of this country and we talked about, you know, frankly about how their job has basically become to try and help people to get as much money out of the country as they can. 130 billion in excess of has left this year of Forex. 200 million net. last year. Two, net. Is that, is that net? Yeah. Year That's net. You know, it's just, dude, and last night, and last weekend, different people ended up crying. Like at a like, you know, that you know that those tears where you just sort of at a party and it's like everyone is dressed nicely and so it's not like chunking as Afrikaners say. It's not like heaving. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're sitting dead still and you're trying to just look like you're having a conversation, but then it then then like water just starts falling down your cheek and then you sort of quickly uh, brush it to the side and then and then have another tequila, <laughs> dude. It's amazing to me that like watching watching investment bankers cry because it's so screwed up that the only way to win is to make things worse. Yes, by pulling money out. Like you have to do that because your fiduciary duty is to try and protect the investments of your stakeholders of your of your clients. Like you have to right. do that, and it's a and perverse it, scenario. Strangling the more yeah, you strangling do it, business the more in the country. How do you get around that catch-22? You confront mm. the government. You confront the root cause. You do root cause analysis. You figure out what the problem is, and you chop that thing at the root. You chop that poisonous tree at the root. And we and we are we're prepared to do anything else. Hey, we'll do anything mm. cosmetic. We'll do anything superficial. We do, but we won't. You know, we, we'll 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 deal with a bad situation in a in a in a way that we know tomorrow and tomorrow it'll be fine. But the day after that. 
you know, this is just not sustainable, but we'll keep doing it in the hopes that someone else is going to intervene. No one else is going to intervene. Yeah. This is the constitution. It's not the nature of a bill of rights to be able to protect you from lunacy at the level of a political <laughs> aristocracy. And the it political aristocracy can't protect in you from yourself. You no, can, you yeah, it can't protect you from yourself. And I'm feeling, and I empathize with that because I feel defeated. I feel hurtful. I feel like, like, like all I want to do is, is, you know, I don't know, play tennis and, and do my work <laughs> and never mind the consequences and just, and just keep missioning on. But if we're not results oriented, if we're not outcomes based, if we're not, and if we're not, if we're not going to stand together, I think we're going to rue, I think that. I think that this period, November, October, November, December, 2020, I think South Africans might look back in 10 years time and say, oh, coronavirus was bad. It was bad. Lockdown was bad. People were being killed by the police. It was bad. Pretty but it was worse. not nearly as bad as mm. what came at the end of that year. When we had the freedom to gather, when we had the freedom to associate, when we had the freedom to speak our minds, when we had the time, when we started getting our jobs back, but we still would we, we 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 sat on our hands and watched as known a known mafia organization, a criminal syndicate uh, masquerading as a political party, decided to legitimize theft, and we just hoped that they were joking. Right. That was that was the really bad time. I feel like I feel like this is the I feel like. I feel much more pessimistic and depressed and, and frustrated now even than I did when we turned the entire economy off because we can recover. You can recover. I just, you know, John Andrews, yeah. our sent a V-shaped recovery out of China. China has got a V-shaped recovery. You can recover from lockdown in a V-shaped way if, you, if you've got a lack of the right thing. Same thing is true in, 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 in uh, German Mittelstadt. The same thing is true in, in, in Sweden's service-based economy. Yeah, yeah. You cannot recover from legitimizing theft. When you say you've got a property right, we'll protect you if you get robbed. But if you lose control, then we're going to expropriate your stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is that, chaos. That is all, the state of nature. Off. That is a war of all against all. That right. turns life into a crude game of the deployment of force. It's just might is right. That's all it is. And some oaks are mighty and they'll be fine. And some folks will will gear to be mighty, and they'll be, you know, they'll be brutal. Yeah. But for the rest of us, oy, oy, oy. no, it's not going to be fun. All right, uh, <laughs> we have to pull it to a close now because otherwise, you're going to depress our audience uh, beyond. It's not. It's not going to help. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. No, man, our audience must no. do the same as us. We all have to do something. You have to do something. Phone a friend. You know, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> who wants to not see their country go down the toilet? Like, one of your options is just phone a friend. Just phone a friend and talk about the fact that something needs to be done. Even if you just talk about it for a moment. Just like right, right. give that wiggle room. It's like injecting the, the, the water into the, into the dislocated joint or the swelling. Just let it swell up. Let the irritant, just let it swell. Let the, let recognize that we are in a dislocated state and that some and that we have to start building up uh, a trust system amongst one another that you can trust someone who is against this yeah. to be against this and not just corruption well, it's not just individual thieving it's not just 
it's being against a changing of the systems that organize, the written systems that organize our lives. That is not a bad thing. That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a racist. It doesn't make you an apartheid apologist that the New York Times suggested last week in its piece on cynical. It makes you reasonable. It makes you someone who is considerate and compassionate about like everyone that is stuck, that is going to be stuck in the mess if we don't do something about it. So it is depressing, but it's, I think more than that, it should be irritating. It should irritate in just the way that like a bee sting irritates. There should be a reaction to that. There should be histamines that come out and say, we cannot let this happen without putting, making a stand against it. We just can't. It's, it's, it's inhuman. So, so let's say that our, our recommendation, our, our joint recommendation, although I think we should still do other recommendations, is perhaps that uh, talk to someone about EWC and about how much of a disaster it's going to be. Um, it is... It is really important. Yeah, at the very least, just have that chat and think about it because other people can help you think and you can help us think if there's things we need to think about, let us know. Okay, but Nick, I can tell we're running out of time and and we want to talk about good things. Tell me something good. What's what Uh, good things left (laughs) in the world? Tell me one one good thing left in the world. Ah, you see, you can't can't just uh, approach me with such a difficult question for an answer on the spot. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not gonna. Well, I made a cake the other day, so yeah, that's pretty good. That is. Uh, it's not gonna save, you know. Uh, it's not gonna save it from being expropriated, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but it can save a day, dude. A good birthday cake can save a day. Yes. It can, it can make a day beautiful and happy. Um, what can I recommend though that our listeners that our listeners go and uh, go and check out? Well, probably if you've listened to this whole thing, then you've probably at least mildly interested in U.S. politics. Uh, so. We have, of course, talked a lot about 538, uh, this, you know, this this episode, and, and I think I think they're really good stuff. Um, and so Gabriel recommended that article about, you know, who's kind of uh, our black and Hispanic voters surging towards Trump. Um, but also you should check out that little video called Polling 101, What Happened to the Polls in 2016, which kind of just goes into what we just talked about. And they also did a piece called What State Polls Can Tell Us About the National Race, which is kind of interesting too. Um, so the website is literally the the, the words 538.com. Um, and or if and you the just article, type, yeah, sorry. If you just type Nate Silver uh, into, into Google or whatever, it should come up with the website 538. Uh, and that's the number of electoral college seats. And uh, the, the article in particular mm. that I was reading data from is called Trump is losing ground with white voters, but gaining among black and Hispanic Americans. Yeah, and I think exactly. it really is surprising and, and good to check out. Right, because <laughs> it's so sort of against what everyone, or the, the lazy analysis would say. Uh, do you have any further recommendations, Gabriel? Very quickly. Oh, man. Listen to music. Uh, listen to good music. <laughs> yeah. Whatever yeah, floats your boat. You know, I've got, I've got strange taste. I suppose I don't, uh, I don't feel well capacitated to, um, to, to make recommendations to others. I'll say one I do feel like I've, I've 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 got good capacity to make recommendations about art. William Kentridge has an exhibition at the Goodman Gallery. It's closing this week. It's been up for a few weeks, and um, I'm going to be going to check that out. Uh, it's video art of his, and I think that he is 
by, you know, unquestionably one of the greatest um, sort of film art producers in the world. And it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to go see fresh work of his for free at the Goodman Gallery. And I look forward to doing that. And to to remembering that, oh, man, there's is so much talent in this country. And uh, and and so mm. many eager eager you know we've there's, there's not just talent it's not all overlooked you know talent people find success here so that's yeah. my rec go and see the beauty uh, and painful see, beauty the, beauty is painful we've got to we must we must see that side of it too yeah. this podcast does it all we started with the graphic description of a finger being relocated uh, <laughs> and we end with Goodman Gallery video art so I think. Uh, <laughs> I think we've that's, got it all. <laughs> that's that's two crickets, hey. Yes, it's life in a yeah. thorn tree. It's it, you've got to be a it's cricket. You've got to have like a hard exoskeleton for this. Otherwise, you just <laughs> give up. But we cannot give up. We've got to yeah. chirp. We've got to chirp. And with that, uh, I hope everyone keeps the flag of liberty flying in this troubled country of ours. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>